Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast, brought to you from the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy, and joining me today is Mr. Samuel Luckhurst. Samuel, how is it going? Very well, Daniel. Very well, thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all our listeners. Of course, of course. I'm so frazzled this afternoon. It's such a we're such dragged on in the last minute. I've completely forgot my season's greetings. Where am I, man? So Merry Christmas to you, Samuel. Merry Christmas to everyone. And Tyrone, Merry Christmas to you, and welcome to today's episode. Merry Christmas, Dan, and, and I'll pass on my season's greetings to everyone too. Feels a bit late going third, but you know, after I have to tick the box and best wishes to everyone, season's greetings and all that. Absolutely, and every United fan has a big uh, Christmas present coming their way this week. With any luck, touch all the wood we can, because it might not be Boxing Day, but on the 27th of December, United, after 16 days out of action, should Samuel finally be back on the field. It's been a strange kind of two weeks or so more than... Um, but uh, after Ralph Rangnick's press conference today, everything sounds positive and providing there's no further outbreaks on the Newcastle side or any other hiccups at United, we should be full steam ahead back into action on Monday. Hopefully, yes. Uh, Rangnick said that they've got 25 field players. By that, I think he means 25 outfield players who who trained today. Paul Pogba was the only one who, who didn't, which isn't a surprise. He's not due to be uh, available again, I think, for another couple of weeks due to his thigh strain. Uh, in, in Rangnick's own world uh, words, it was he said it was extremely positive, which is perhaps not the best choice of words regarding a COVID nineteen <laughs> outbreak. But it, it certainly reflects the mood. And uh, as, as you said, everyone I think will still probably be a little bit on tender hooks as to whether there's an outbreak in in Newcastle squad at all. Uh, we've already seen a couple of more fixtures fall by the wayside today, uh, getting postponed for, for, for Boxing Day matches. So there's, there's still ample time in this this game. We're recording this on the Thursday. The game is still four days off. So uh, fingers crossed nothing happens and St James's Park is is packed for the game on Monday night. It, you know, it's, it's a pretty good occasion. We, Our, our colleague Stephen Railston, he's going to be there uh, cheering on his beloved Newcastle United. <laughs> first, first home game for a while, I think he was saying. And uh, it's it's just you know it's it's a nice time of year to be watching football in person. So hopefully, hopefully it goes ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tyrone, it's been a strange uh, couple of weeks with no football. But I know it's not even as if it's been that you know. I'd imagine most of the time managers would be absolutely begging for two weeks off in the middle of the festive uh, mm-hmm. period. But you know, it's not even been kind of beneficial for Rangnick that much because he's not had that much time on the training field with Carrington closing on a couple of occasions. But do you see this kind of two, maybe there's a bit of a silver lining there? He's maybe had, I think, in his first press conference uh, or first interview, Rangnick spoke a lot about the um, the how he'll use video to kind of teach mm. his players his methods and stuff. And, you know, if two weeks um, and, you know, some of them have had 10 days or so isolating and whatnot, they've certainly had a lot of time to kind of study whatever he's wanting to show them. So maybe in a perverse way, you now we know that everyone's back and all right, it could maybe play in their favour a little bit, though, of course, um, the fixture pile-up that I'll have later on in the year certainly won't. Yeah, it's possible. I'm sure a few players who were were forced into isolation and, and 
Bedbound were probably getting emails on their phones from Ranyik with a few videos to watch and, and things he likes to do. Like you say, it's not like they've had, it's going to be a 16 day break between games, but it's not like they've had 10 days in the training pitches to, to kind of drill the players and, and get these pressing monsters that he's spoken about how he wants. Obviously, I think they had, I think training ground was closed Thursday to Tuesday last week. It's been a staggered return this week. So, in, in that sense, there's not going to be a lot gleaned from it. But the, the schedule was fairly hectic. He had three games in his first week. I guess this has given him a chance to take stock, to re-watch those three games, to work out what's going well, what needs to change. So I guess that's beneficial. The downside to that is I guess maybe the players have lost a bit of, of rhythm, to, to use a favourite of, of Pep Guardiola. Anyone that's done a Pep presser will know rhythm comes up in pretty much every answer. Um and yeah, 16 days without a game at this stage of the season is, is a long time and it's unexpected as well, at least with an international break. You know you're not going to be playing for that length of time. United would have given themselves up to play Tuesday and Saturday and then haven't played at all and two and a bit weeks is, is a long time. So it might take them a bit of time against Newcastle to to get back into the swing of things. But, you know, a rest at this time of the season is is never a bad thing, especially when there's a new manager in charge. And I'm sure it's you know, it's probably given Ranić some thinking time as much as anything to, to work out what's, like I said, what's worked in those mm-hmm. those three games that he's had so far, so far, and, and what else needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Well, they've been kind of blessed with a, a pretty comfortable kind of return to action. Newcastle, despite um, you know all the the takeover and bringing in Eddie Howe, they haven't really done much. They've only win under Howe, and their only win of the season, in fact, um, was a one nil uh, triumph as they celebrated as such, um, against Burnley at the start of the month. Since then, they've lost 4-0 to Leicester, 3-1 to Liverpool, and last time out were um, kind of spanked by City 4-0. But in that game, um, Samuel, I don't know how much of it you managed to ca- uh, catch, but Newcastle, they did show a bit of a bit of um, a fight at times, I thought, even when City went 2-0 up fairly early. I still think um, Almiron on the right kind of had a bit of luck um, getting behind um, Zinchenko and stuff, and they looked to kind of counter at times when they could on the rare occasions they got the ball. Um, how, how much of a test kind of do you see it being for uh, for United? And you know, is it another, or will it be kind of another comfortable game where Rangnick can kind of continue to get his methods across? Do you see anything changing? As kind of Tyrone mentioned there, what has been working, what's not? Could anything be changed? I I wouldn't necessarily expect United to steamroll in Newcastle. They they've won their two matches under Rangnick one uh, nil. There were certainly the first half against Crystal Palace was very impressive. At, at Norwich, there was very very little to be impressed by them individually. There were some good performances, some consistent performances, but as we discussed last week, that the, the front four uh, just just didn't click at all whatsoever, and they ended up winning the game via a penalty and. That, that was a completely fair reflection of how the game panned out, winning it via a penalty because they didn't seem to really create much from open play at all. And Norwich are uh, just as, as bad a side as Newcastle, if you like. They're, they're another team who's in the relegation zone, but they, they have been jolted a little bit by by Dean Smith coming in. They don't look as certain to go down as, as they did under Daniel Fark, although they, they probably will still go down. Newcastle are not as you know, supine as they were under Steve Bruce, I suppose, with how coming in, um, I think, what game was it recently? I think it was against Norwich, in fact, where they went down to 10 men, of course, early on, but still went 1-0 up. And although it ended 1-1, I think most people would have imagined that they'd have lost that game, but they didn't. It, it, it was hardly a moral victory. It was it was a minor, you know, it was a minor step in the, very, very gradual step in the right direction. But I think it's, it's possibly the occasion that could play to their advantage. As I said, 
packed St. James's Park a couple of days after Christmas, evening kickoff. There's always something in the air with those atmospheres. Um, the, the away following at St. James's Park is is very difficult to be heard, given that they're up in the gods pretty much up there. You know, that that's where the, the birds are flying around. It's it's not a great away stand uh, to try and generate an atmosphere in whatsoever. So whether Newcastle players rise to that occasion remains to be seen, but United have got a fully fit squad and if United play well, they, they'll win. It's a very obvious statement to make, but there have been signs mostly in the Crystal Palace game that they were, you know, Rangnick was able to implement his style and what he wants from them and the approach quite quickly. They've not had a lot of training time during the, I think it'll be a 16-day gap between games due to the COVID-19 outbreak. But that said, most of them were back in on Tuesday. It's, it's going to be the best part of a week's worth of training leading up to that Monday game at Newcastle. So they've got no excuses, really, despite the, the COVID outbreak in the squad. It's a game they should be winning and they've they've had enough time on the training pitch and with the video analysis to to win the game quite well and, and to take another you know, step in the right direction. Uh, which they've already taken. Uh, they've already taken a couple under Rangnick, but it's got to the point now where you feel as though they need to start winning quite quite stylishly and and, and by a bigger margin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You'd like to think that you know there was such a jump to what they were doing under Solskjaer and Carrick, or you know what they weren't doing. To whereas Rangnick now has gone gotten drilled, and we know with how the, you know the Gigan pressing style and whatnot, you need to be really fit for that and to implement that halfway through a season. You know, not only physical fit, but kind of mentally on it and know exactly where you need to go and when you need to go. That can be hard to implement halfway through a season. It can be hard to implement in the summer, let alone halfway through a season. So to have that two weeks or at least a, f- a full week solid of training to kind of delve that in, it can only, I say, hopefully it should be of a big benefit. And United need it because while they have got games in hand, you know, it's easy to count those as wins. Um, Arsenal are kind of hitting a bit of form themselves and the top four race is kind of heating up a little bit and, you know, Tottenham coming into good form under Conte, um, played probably the game of the season the other weekend against um, Liverpool and perhaps were unlucky not to have won that, um, which you can't say that often about teams playing Liverpool. But Tyrone, you kind of mentioned there, like, Rangnick would have used that weeks um, when training was off to kind of look what's not worked, what has worked. What areas do you think he'll be most looking to improve against Newcastle? What do you expect from the game? Um I guess the obvious issue is kind of the the goal scoring and creating chances. Three goals against Crystal Palace, Young Boys and Norwich isn't a great return, although obviously they're unbeaten. And and the big positive is the two clean sheets and they they did look better defensively in both of those league games. But they scored three goals, one with Fred's right foot from the edge of the box, one a Ronaldo penalty and, and one a moment of brilliance for Mason Greenwood. So we've not really seen those patterns of play working yet. We've not seen, you know, Randy wants... Randy wants his team to win the ball back in the opposition's half, really, and then immediately look for those those killer passes and and thrive against an unstructured team. We've not seen much of that yet. Um, so I think creating chances and goal scoring is probably an obvious room for improvement. They've been better defensively. The, the breathing space has maybe done them some good because that Norwich performance was pretty unconvincing, really. I mean, Norwich, Norwich put up a hell of a fight. Um, and looked, you know, they looked a real threat in that game. And then I think the next the next week they went and lost at home to Aston Villa. So it, it does sort of that concerns you a little bit that United made such heavy weather of, of winning at Norwich. So I think there's obvious, you know, there's obvious improvement there. And then generally just the pressing and getting the pressing right. I think that's something we're going to see gradually. Um, 
there is a spell dispel now of all the players back this week of I guess two or three days leading up to that Newcastle game of training, which which could make a difference. Like you say, it is an appealing run over Christmas. These these three games over Christmas as, as draining as this schedule is. Newcastle away and then Burnley and Wolves at home should really be nine points out of nine for United. They need it in a way. You touch on the top four race there. It you know it, does, it doesn't feel like there's any panic and rightly so in a top four race at the moment, but it is. You know, Arsenal are losing to every good team they play, but are beating everyone else and are starting to look a bit of a threat under Arteta. Tottenham looked more promising under Conte at the weekend. West Ham are still there. So it is, you know, the the pressure is on United in that top four race. They are the team that has to get top four. The others, you know, the others could live without and wouldn't have expected it at the start of the season. It's United that have to get it. It's hard to know. The moments are having an, an impact on the table, really. It's hard to know what to make of, of who's where. I mean, those four teams, if you include West Ham, those four teams have all played different numbers of games. I think Tottenham played 15, uh, United 16, West Ham 17 and Arsenal 18. So it's very difficult to know who's in pole position for, for fourth mm-hmm. at the moment. Michael Massey would have no chance of of deciding who it is. So it is, <laughs> you know, it is a, a convoluted sort of top four race, but it does feel like United have gone a run now where they can put their foot down and, and pick up maximum points over this period. Mm-hmm. can only hope that um, the upcoming Wolves game isn't as absolutely boring as it has been over the last couple of years. <laughs> so fingers crossed on that front. But uh, Samuel, you know, we've talked to there that Rangnick's now got a fully fit squad, bar Pogba, the most he's had since he's been in charge. Varane back, Cavani back. And um, Shaw obviously was available for the Young Boys game and the Norwich game, but has been kind of easing his way back after kind of head injuries. So perhaps more available now. Um, do you kind of see any changes to the team? You know, he's kept the same side for his first two Premier League games. Who do you think will stay in the side? And, you know, we've, there's been a few players, Bruno Fernandes, kind of primarily among them, who are better at form and maybe could warrant being dropped a la, like, Wan because the same, kind of same treatment he's had in Ragnick's reign so far. Yeah, I th- the gap between games um, might, might have reprieved a couple of players because certainly going into that Brentford game, that there were definitely going to be changes. I think just by virtue that it was coming three days later and it was a midweek game and then they had Brighton uh, or due to have Brighton on Saturday. But that length of time now, players like, not players like, but, but Rashford and Fernandes are the two standout ones who have, have been quite fortunate to have been starting as many games as, as they have been recently. But I suppose the conditioning of individuals is is it, it, it's heavily dependent on that. We we don't know for certain which players um, are a little bit were, were a little bit lethargic in training today. Which players were at, at their absolute optimum, um, having had uh, having had COVID nineteen recently. The, the good thing is that Rangnick said that pretty much all the players had very mild symptoms, so nobody was laid low with it quite like Dean Henson was when he took pretty much a month to recover from contracting COVID in, in July, I think it was. Uh, so, so that has to be seen as a positive, but look, going back to that Norwich game, it feels so distant now, but the only opportunity that they had, it felt like was McTominay, apart from the Ronaldo one in the, in the first half, but was, uh, was McTominay's cross for Fernandes' header, which ended up with the penalty. So they didn't really create an awful lot in it. And you've got to explore alternative options there. Um, Fernandes got the MEN's player of the year for 2021, which was predictable just because a lot of these awards these days, um, the, the stats are just automatically factored in. It's, OK, what are his stats? We'll go with them. And, and 
statistically, Fernandez has had a phenomenal impact at United, whether it's goals, whether it's assists. But his overall performance level in 2021 has not been particularly good at all. You could go back to probably February time, I think. He started to look a bit leggy and look a bit fatigued and he, he wasn't at his optimum towards the end of last season, whereas others like Cavani and, and Greenwood did get better as the season progressed. And bar the Leeds game this season, he's, he's been distinctly unimpressive. The uh, I think I said it before, the Atalanta home, home game, um, it was one of his worst ever performances for United, but he created four or five chances and two of them resulted in goals. That's what you get with him. He, he's failed to master, and I don't think there was any interest in Solskjaer, his coaching staff, looking for Fernandes to master a more controlling style that is, is more synonymous with the forwards at Manchester City. But if, if, if he's not going to provide that, you've got to look at van der Beek to offer it. It would be interesting to see van der Beek uh, as one of those two tens. There's no way with the fixture schedule the way it is. And although I haven't said that, I don't think it's as bad as some have made out, especially for United. They play on the 27th, the 30th, and then I think it's the 2nd of January. So there are three-day intervals between those games. Um, but even still, they're not going to be playing the, the same side in, in all those three games, even if everyone is fit. So maybe for the Newcastle game, it's a case of continuing with uh, the team that he's that he's been playing with and that played in Carrick's last game. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. And then maybe after that Newcastle game, you make changes for the uh, for the Burnley home game. But as I said, at Norwich, keeping that. That the team unchanged was was the wrong call, as you saw from the performance. That, that they should have they should have freshened it up, and mm. it's it looked like, albeit in slightly difficult conditions in the second half, it did look as though that that, that particular eleven had stagnated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly be interesting to see kind of what changes we get. But as you kind of touched upon there, um, there have been complaints from some managers, a lot of managers, about the kind of hectic, uh, festive uh, fixture period. Jurgen Klopp, chief among them, though, he has does have more of a point. I believe Liverpool play on the twenty sixth and then the twenty eighth, which is a bit of a bit of a joke. United have got a bit more um, got off a bit more lightly. But um, in quite a refreshing uh, point he made today in his press conference, kind of moving on, he had some interesting stuff to say about that. And he was actually quite happy about the festive uh, fixture period. He's saying uh, he talked up it's, uh, how it's such a big tradition in our country, of course, um, and Germany, where he's managed uh, the other winter break and whatnot. So something new for him. He's excited to be playing it. But he did then, Tyrone, make some points um, which some traditionalists may kind of shirk at um, I'd probably be one of them saying that a discussion and it was nothing kind of radical or anything but kind of bringing up the topic that the League Cup and FA Cup replays maybe need to a discussion needs to be had about them is how he worded it but I think we can infer from that that he isn't the biggest fan of the idea Yeah I think so and you know it's interesting what you say there about festive football and that the, I guess with Ranjik on board now probably the three managers who were most vocal about the the games players having to play and player welfare is Ranjit, Klopp and Guardiola. And they've all said over the last couple of days that Boxing Day is brilliant and they wouldn't change Boxing Day. And I think we all agree with that. The obvious issue is that that midweek round that follows Boxing Day, I think if there was a Boxing Day and a New Year's Day round, I think those managers would be perfectly happy with that. The issue is, you know, you mentioned Liverpool there. Obviously, they've got away with it now with the Leeds game being postponed. But there will be other teams who are playing on the 26th and 28th and that, you know, two games in three days at this level is just crazy. It doesn't make any sense, really. 
Um, you know, you could even do 26th, 29th and second, I guess, or something like that if you wanted three rounds here. Um, I don't think anyone's calling for killing off Boxing Day football, but to play on the 26th and 28th seems excessive, especially at the moment when, you know, you're asking players who might have spent seven weeks or seven days rather at home, unable to train, to come back in and play two games in, in three days. And I think it's, you know, at some point, English football is going to have to listen to intelligent foreign managers who come in and talk so eloquently about the schedule and, and do something about it. Every other country has scrapped its second cup competition in Europe. Every other country in Europe is having five subs while we're still in the grip of a pandemic. On both of them, English football just ignores it and carries on. And no, little Englanders, we know we know best. We know what's right. And it's just complete, complete madness. And even if you're having the League Cup, just do away with the two-legged semi-finals. And I think Klopp said after their win last night, he'd be happy to go and play Arsenal away and forget the home leg at Anfield. So that's how annoying, I guess, these, these fixtures are to teams. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I would stick with FA Cup replays and do away with the League Cup, I think. We were talking before we came on air that the League Cup does always seem to produce good semi-finals in terms of, of lineup, and it has again. But within a season of it going, no one would miss it. And you know, we're talking about you, you just don't enter the teams that are in Europe, but no one cares about it anyway. The, the fans of the other 14 clubs in the Premier League can say how important it is. Their managers make 11 changes for the second round and the third round when they've got nothing else to play for, when winning a cup is the only thing that can be success for them this season when staying up is pretty much a given and they still make 11 changes so if even those teams aren't going to take it seriously just get rid just kill it off there's absolutely no need to it and I think you know at some point the, the English game's going to have to listen to these managers the five subs thing I think is is crazy there was an argument for it definitely last season um, maybe less so at the start of this season and I agree with everyone else that it definitely shouldn't be around forever at the moment, especially now, I mean, it should be back in for the Boxing Day games. And I'm frankly staggered it's not when you've got so many you, you, players can be forced to start on Boxing Day that have either just recovered from COVID or have just come out of self-isolation and haven't been able to train properly. And they might have to play 90 minutes because teams have only got three substitutes. It's just, you know, it, it's absolutely baffling. But it does seem that the Premier League and a lot of the, I'm going to say smaller clubs, sounds a bit patronising, isn't it? But the, the, the lesser clubs... Um, just will will stick to their guns and, and won't pass this rule because it doesn't give them the chance of, of an upset. So I think you know something clearly needs to change. Well, would, yeah, you miss, would you miss the League Cup, Dan? Would you? Did you? It's hard to say because you know the only time as a Bolton fan. Sorry, apologies. I know 2004. I'm not. I'm not looking. Well, to that take... well that is a point. But I was going to say I hardly ever get to see us in it because we always get knocked out. This year we got knocked out mm. to Wigan, and I must say it's very cool that the League Cup just goes to penalties now because I saw a penalty shootout in person for the first time this year. We lost it obviously because that's what we do, <laughs> and we drew nil nil with Wigan, and then we got absolutely battered by them at home. So you know that's fun as always. But I, I, I as I say, I don't watch unless work and tells me to do it where I have to go and watch um, City smash seven past uh, you know Lincoln City or something I don't watch the early round games but as, as, as Tyrone touched on I do I think the semi-finals always can the two-legged makes it quite a unique take that like you don't get it elsewhere in English football no. I do think the semi-finals always lend something quite interesting um, I can't remember exactly I was just trying to find it then I thought Liverpool were in it but I don't think it was them it might have been Arsenal but a couple of years ago there was a really good game that ended up like maybe like free, free and aggregate, if, if not more, and it was topsy turvy. And I wish I could remember it. I'm sure someone listening will be screaming at me now, tell me what the match was. I feel like Aston Villa might have been. Was it when did Villa get? Oh, God knows. No dead air. So I try and. Villa beat 
Blackburn was it six four in one leg or or, or there was something twenty ten the twenty ten semi finals were good because you had the derby semi finals yeah. and Tevez scored a couple and um, the atmosphere was red hot mm-hmm. but it's yeah, you know, I, I think I'm at the risk of City fans being as paranoid as they can be and, and rounding on me. <laughs> they probably killed the competition just by monopolising it in the last well, yeah. five years. United versus City. A few they won last year or the year before COVID started. Yeah, that was, was a really was good. Last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that was, that was really good game. Apart the second leg was nil nil, wasn't it? Or United won one nil, but the first leg was really good when City won 3 one. So they, they do yeah. produce good games. And but I can still see the argument that but then then the other argument is the the, the top teams play weakened teams in it anyway. So it doesn't really matter if yeah. Yeah, know, everyone's I, I, everyone's playing weakened teams in it. I, if everyone that was to play weakened yeah. teams in it, it would have more of a chance. Uh, but that's true. Everyone I, plays weakened teams. So uh, and then you brought up the point friendly. about and then you brought up the point about don't have teams in Europe and I think that would be an elegant solution to be honest with you. I do think that is the way to do it and I think more the teams who were then in it would then take it more seriously because it does have a route to Europe. It's not as good as it used to be. It used to be the Europa League and obviously Birmingham City got to the Europa League and that, that, and, that, and now it's the Conference League which would still be good for a small team to get into because you win the Conference League. Let's say Southampton or someone like that of that stature West Ham even win the League Cup I know they're in Europe this season but a team of that stature they won the League Cup and then got into the Conference League when they normally wouldn't from league position then they're probably one of the better teams in that competition they then go and win that they're in the Europa League and it's just I think I, I'm just kind of against ending possibilities you look at Birmingham City they won the League Cup it's probably the, one of the greatest moments of those fans in the last 30 years and that doesn't happen if that tournament doesn't exist and I know it's a rarity I know the big teams won it now City I've won it for the last five years or four years before this year I know it's a rarity but if you kind of get rid of it you just kill a, another chance for a smaller team to win something and I, I'm not I'm not for that I, I'm for possibilities there, there can be a conversation maybe it doesn't need to be what it is it can change made shorter as you say teams who are in Europe don't have to compete in it they can choose not to if they um, kind of load their calendar too much but I do think just killing it off completely would be a bit sad because it has, you know, it, it, it's possibilities and you don't, I wouldn't want to kill off possibilities in football. I know Bolton did lose in the final, but if we had won it, it would have been a memory to save it forever. Um, so that would be mine on that. How about you, Samuel? And of course, on the five substitutes thing as well. Uh, yeah, I, I this, with with the League Cup, I, th- I think it, it does need to be scrapped or certainly the elite teams need to be taken out of it. But as Ty said, the other teams in the Premier League do not take it particularly seriously. Mm-hmm. It's baffling at times. You, you take Everton as an example. They've not won a trophy since 1995. You'd think they'd take it a bit more seriously, but they see it as as an inconsideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, okay, their, their squad this this season isn't isn't too big. It's, it's lighter than it is normally. But I think that some of these teams, the way they operate, I, I can't quite fathom it. You've had mm-hmm. top um, flirting with disaster in the FA Cup in recent years as if they're this big team and they, they win the league mm. all the time, they challenge for the league all the time when the reality is they've won two League Cups in the last 30 years. So it, it'd be interesting to see if it was if it was proposed it was scrapped, which clubs, if, they could, if, if it was yeah. put to a vote, which clubs would vote for it and which clubs wouldn't vote for it because you'd imagine that some of these success staff clubs, if that was taken away from them, they'd think, well, actually, hang on, we'd like that. And whether it mm. would jolt them into making more of an effort to 
to uh, to win it or not. I I don't know, but it has to be has to be discussed when the other top leagues in in Europe have, have scrapped those those cup competitions. You, you can't just carry on regardless because you know certain concepts there are are just completely outdated. Yeah, so I must. I, you're right there because Everton wasn't Everton last season who played Liverpool's kids and then still lost. Like Liverpool literally put out all the teenagers. And, yeah, and the FA Cup. Yeah, it was like the FA Cup. But this is the same. It's the same concept where you know a team like Everton or whoever they could really, you know, they should do with winning the trophy. They should put, perhaps put a bit more effort in. And they say it's just if teams cared, it'd still be a competition. And I must say that last night Liverpool Leicester, good game, really good game. West Ham Tottenham as well. Um, was a really good game. So it does produce games when the teams care about it. It's just say it just needs to, and maybe this would be kind of a kick up the rear end for some clubs to think, oh, maybe that is a good chance for us to win something for the first time in, you know, decades as it was. So I say a conversation I think does need to be have. Um, definitely not with replays, keep replays um, forever, uh, apart from COVID depending, because um, as we've seen, uh, to my detriment, with Bolton and Stockport um, this season, like you were there for that one, Tyrone, I believe. Um, I was. Classic. Yeah. You know, again, I think you wouldn't have had that if there was no replays. It would have gone to penalties and we still might exactly, have lost. Yeah. But you wouldn't have had such a good game like, <laughs> such a good game like that. So I, as I, in everything, I'm just kind of open to not killing off chances and possibilities to see magic happen because, you know, that's what football's about, isn't it? The, uh, the, the unexpected. And it's only unexpected if it doesn't happen. Um, often so we can't be bemoaning it um, not happening that much but kind of moving on from that conversation Samuel over to you know we're a few days away from uh, January now the transfer window will soon open um, the speculations heating up the talks heating up how do you think United are going to go into this uh, this month and you know we've, we know that our defensive midfielders on the list and Raiola is now out doing the rounds uh, bigging up Haaland ahead of a big year so how, how do you see January going for United? It wouldn't surprise me if it goes along quite quietly because of the pandemic. Uh, a lot of clubs are going to be reluctant to do business. You, you take Dean Henderson's situation. He, he's quite keen to go to Ajax on loan. Ajax are keen to take him on loan, uh, take him in on loan as well. But the Netherlands is in a nationwide lockdown at the moment. And OK, with footballers, they have uh, special privileges and freedom of movement. But there's, there's financial impact to that as well, whether... Ajax would be able to finance the signing of a goalkeeper who's on a, a six-figure salary, six-figure re- weekly salary at United. Would the player be comfortable going out there as well? I, I imagine he would be. He, he wants playing time. But that's just an example of how the pandemic is already having an impact on the January market before J- January has even come around. With, with Anthony Marshall, as I said, we're recording this on the Thursday. Uh, unsurprisingly, there'll be a bit more that comes out about him um, in the coming days. But he's clearly a player that has, has been an irrelevance at United for quite some time now. He's scored eight goals in the last 15 months. He's, he's been out of form during that whole period. I don't think that they would miss him in any way, shape or form. Um, he needs to go somewhere else to get regular playing time. And United clearly would be open to letting that happen if there is a, a concrete offer on the table. I thought it was quite telling how, from his side, it came out that, oh, Barcelona and Juventus are interested, but Sevilla the club he'd go to because he'd get playing time there. Clear, clearly, what's happened there is that Okay, Barcelona might want you, but don't want you. But we'll use their name to make you look better than you actually are. Uh, Juventus, they lost Ronaldo in the summer, so they could do a striker. And they're a big club as well, but they won't want you. But we'll use them as well. Sevilla obviously clearly do want Martial because 
of their standing and and where they are in La Liga and they're not in the Champions League anymore. And it just seems like quite a natural fit as well. It's it's not a surprising story whatsoever that they would be open to taking him on loan. There's no chance of him being sold permanently next month. I wouldn't have thought it's he's he's a tough sell in in the summer. Never mind the winter, given his form over the last fifteen months. And with the players coming towards the end of their contracts, again, I wouldn't be surprised if they're all still there on the 1st of February, uh, just because there's not a lot of logic for clubs going out there, spending money on Jesse Lingard or Paul Pogba or Edinson Cavani um, when they're going to be available without having to pay a fee in the summer. Now, people could count that and say, well, you wouldn't be paying as much commission to the agent if you were signing them now. But overall, the, the package would still be more expensive if you're going to sign them for a transfer fee in, in a mid-season window. And beyond that, there aren't many clubs that are really... I mean, what club out there is really desperate for Paul Pogba and the form he's been in, and also the fact that he's been out for the best part of two months as it is? It it just doesn't it it doesn't make any sense for him to go in January with Lingard. It, it, it makes more sense for him to go in January, but United aren't expecting him to leave. He's not expecting to leave next month. I think I wrote that that story last week. So. That, that just preserves the status quo there. Matters would cost a frugal fee. And again, he's only had two starts this season. So if, if he were to have an offer, I think it would make infinite sense just to let him go for, as I said, a, a frugal fee. He's, he's not going to command much of a um, much money at all whatsoever, given that he's 34 in April and that he's played so little this season. And um, with the incoming potential incoming. Uh, yeah, they, they would like a midfielder in January. They're certainly open to it. I think the way that they're playing now necessitates the need for a midfielder sooner rather than later. But realistically, it's very, very difficult to negotiate um, a deal like that that's going to be for a player who's going to have an immediate impact, who's not going to cost an absolute arm and a leg as well. Um, and if, you've, if you're still saddled with Pogba, your bargaining position is weaker because you've still got quite a lot of midfielders to choose from. And Rangnick has already said that when Pogba is fit, if he's available to play, uh, he, he intends to use him in one of those two midfield uh, positions. So he, he might not get a lot of playing time between now and the end of the season, but things can change very quickly. As we've seen with Diego Dallo yeah. over the last month, he's gone from someone who looked, you know, the, the, the chances of him going in January seemed quite high, but he's deservedly the first choice right back at the moment. Uh, so there are a lot of possibilities in January, but again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's slow slash quiet just because of the way of the way of the world right now. January has been a quiet month. It was quiet for United last uh, last year as well. I think Fernandez in 2019 was the last January signing to come in, Tyrone. It does seem like it's going to, if anything, it'll be more of a, a month for, for Rangnick to kind of clear the decks as such, as kind of Samuel so other couldn't put there. Henderson could get out on loan for some much-needed game time. And, you know, I, I think I wrote earlier this week, Rangnick's in a in a unique position as a United manager because he's here on an interim basis. He could pull no punches when it comes to, as he said on numerous occasions, if a player doesn't want to play, he can go. Um, I, th- I think he was saying Pogba, he doesn't want to, con- you know, he shouldn't have to convince players to play for United. He's been very kind of, bullish on that on that front so it could be an opportunity for um you know Rangnick to potentially I say maybe Marshall goes on loan if anyone comes in from Lingard I might have perhaps he kind of maybe 
potentially if, if any offers come in, kind of clear the decks a little bit for the next manager to come in in the summer who will have a bit, you know, won't have to bother with that busy work, so to speak. But, um, you know, how do you, how do you see it going, Tyrone? I know the midfielders have been, you know, defensive midfielders have been linked with the most. is obviously Amadou Hidara from RB Leipzig, who um, Rangnick knows very well. Um, the stumbling block there is that he's due to represent Mali at the African Cup of Nations, which would see him miss, you know, a month of action and more importantly, like kind of a period of kind of getting used to, integrated into the squad. And a couple more here and there are linked. I think Bubakar Kamara from Marseille's one, but um, he's out of contact in the summer, so that's potentially agent talk. And, uh, you know, Frankie de Jong, which he's only, Barcelona's only sellable asset. But again, I don't really see him moving, especially in the winter. So, you know, another quiet one for you, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think it will be quiet. I think midfield is the obvious area of improvement. It was neglected in the summer. It's pretty clear it could still do with an upgrade. Ranić said Fred and McTominay were almost perfect for his 4-2-2-2 after the first game. The, the key word there is probably almost um, so there's clearly room for improvement, but getting the right player is difficult. Haidara maybe makes a bit of sense, given that Leipzig are in transition at best or decline at worst. Kamara, like you say, it, there's a good chance that's agent talk, but League One is a sensible market to shop in, given that you know the TV deal there has collapsed, that clubs are dropping financially, that there's so much crowd trouble at the moment. You can't blame any player for looking to leave France and clubs have got to cash in on assets, so it's an obvious market to shop in. But beyond that, signing players in, in January is is fraught with difficulty. United nailed it with Fernandez, but beyond that, the record's not great and it can be a difficult market to shop in. So I think it's more likely we'll see departures, but I don't think we'll see I think we'll see a lot. I mean, Martial's made it pretty clear he he wants out, so that would make sense. But the issue with with letting players out as well at the moment is that you never know when your next COVID outbreak is is gonna be, given how bad things have been recently. You know, 90 cases in the league last week, it's probably probably might go up again. Um, so would you, with for Henderson, with example, if you let Henderson go and don't sign a keeper and then De Gea comes down with COVID, you're looking at Tom Eaton in goal and Lee Grant on the bench maybe. So there's there's almost a, a COVID factor with, with all of these decisions. You let Lingard go and then you might be looking at having to call up an under-23s player, say, to be on the bench or three of your front four get get COVID and you've not got Martial and, and you're looking at calling up Charlie McNeil or something like that. I'm sure a lot of fans would love that, but you know, there's a reason these players haven't yet made their first team debut. So I think I think clubs will be cautious about letting players go, especially in the Premier League where outbreaks are so bad at the moment. Um, so I think it'll be that'll be factored into to decisions and might mean it is a very quiet window, not just for United, but for everyone in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to see Sky Sports try and get excitement out of some kid going on loan to Blackburn in the final deadline day as their ticker <laughs> is perilously low. But we'll see that all in good time. And before we kind of bring this episode to a close, Samuel, um, some good and long overdue news on Old Trafford today that uh, some expansion work and hopefully a bit of an improvement is uh, on the way. Well, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it came out in the fans forum minutes. The fans forum, the most recent one was held on 8th of December. Uh, it confirmed what had long been suspected and what Joel Glazer had promised back in April or May, that finally there was, there was going to be some overdue work to, to the stadium. Uh, they've not specified where the expansion would take place. They've, again, reiterated the difficulty in doing it on the south stand, which is the Sir Bobby Charlton stand, as it's known now because it's got the railway line behind behind it. And beyond that, there, um, there are houses. So it's fraught with difficulty in terms of construction and, and what have you. But the stadium itself has been in decay for 
a long, long time. The last expansion work was in 2006 with the quadrants uh, when they were fitted. I think the plans for, for, for those were signed off in February 2004. The Glazers uh, completed their takeover in May 2005. So in nearly 17 years of their ownership, they have never signed off on an expansion of the stadium or any major work really the, the disabled facilities i suppose would be the only exception they they have been upgraded and improved in recent years um and the exterior of the stretford end looks a little bit different at the top to accommodate uh, disabled supporters who who can now watch games from up there but other than that the the lack of work on on the stadium has, has been staggering really the the roof leaks are, are infamous there was that footage from I think it was just before the derby in 2019 uh, that went viral. It, it wasn't a leak. It was like a, a waterfall that was uh, flowing down. And, and even on the fans' forum minutes, they, they got that wrong. I think the stadium operations manager said that was in the St. Poppy Charleston stand. It wasn't. That was in the Stretford end. Uh, the, the, the roofing is, is pathetic on uh, pretty much on all four, four sides of the ground. And... I mean, I was at Rochdale last week watching their game and even the roofing above the, the, the terrace end there seems to look a hell of a lot more secure and, and not as dated as what we're sitting under at Old Trafford on on a fortnightly basis. So it, it's positive news. It's much overdue. Unfortunately, this is only happening because of Joel Glazer's treachery with the Super League. If they hadn't have tried to engineer a Super League breakaway, I suspect that this news wouldn't have come out at all. But United fans, to an extent anyway, have got the Glazers over a barrel at the moment. The Glazers can't um, put another foot wrong otherwise well, I mean last time they tried to pull up the drawbridge and what happened was that the fans ended up storming the castle and got a game called off so um, it's, it's good that United fans have been able to, to wield the power the way they have and as I said Old Trafford is an institution it's 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 a hell of an arena it still arouses awe from players who visit from, from all corners of the globe uh, but for those who've been uh, attending games there for a very long time, its its decay has been you know, gradual and, and to an extent quite sad for for a stadium that is still, I think it's, I think it's 111 years old now. Uh, so it needs protecting, it needs constant care, like, like a National Trust property, really. And it's not had that under the Glazer family. Is it a listed building or can stadiums be listed? I feel like it should be. As you say, it's such a historic thing. I'm not sure if it is. Uh, I think the only thing that exists from it from uh, pre-war time apparently is the there's there's a tunnel between the dugouts that used to be used by the players but isn't anymore. And apparently the wall there has apparently that withheld the the bombing um, of the stadium during the Second World War. Other than that, everything has has changed mm-hmm. at one point or another. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm 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 not sure it'd be a listed building, but I, I always thought a. a a solution to getting past the railway line would have been to to relocate a little bit like the way Tottenham have done because behind the Stretford end, there is a vast, very vast area of car park. And if they were able to just kind of come close to the car park, it would have got away from, from the south stand. It would have been a huge operation, of course. You, you look at how it turned out for Tottenham. Tottenham had to move into Wembley for the best part of two years. United apart from City, they, they, there's not an obvious stadium to play their games at in the interim basis. So I think they were never going to do that anyway. But I always thought that was a possible solution that should have been explored to get the capacity up to mm-hmm. beyond 80,000. It's a 76,000-seat stadium at the moment, so you'd think 
it shouldn't be too much bother to change to, to add four thousand uh, more seats to it. Mm. But but the work has to go beyond that. Like the the acoustics are not great. The roofing is dated. Uh, the north stand, which holds twenty eight thousand fans, I think that was finished in nineteen ninety five, and that was seen as you know this state of the art infrastructure at the time and. It's, it's not just Old Trafford. The Emirates has only been open for 15 years, but going there, it already feels a little bit dated compared to other stadiums that you go to. But Tottenham Stadium is, I mean, that, that is out of this world and that, that's the new benchmark for the other major clubs mm-hmm. in the Premier League now. Well, I can certainly suggest a little place down the road, yeah, the University of Bolton Stadium, if everyone ever wants to move out, uh, which I'm sure would go down very well for uh, with all parties. But uh, on that note, we'll bring today's episode to a close. Um, thank you very much, gentlemen. And as again, both Merry Christmas to you and Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you for listening. In the build-up to Monday's game against Newcastle, of course, um, stick up to date with all the latest developments and news over on Manchester Evening News forward slash Manchester United. You can get us on Twitter at Man United MEN and you get us on Facebook uh, with uh, Manchester Evening News Man United page. Thank you very much for listening and season's greetings. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Ta-ra.